Venha ao teu reino, seja feita a tua vontade, assim na terra como no céu. Chleba naszego powszedniego, daj nam dzisiaj. Sineyatan no greshelile nostre, precum sineyatan greshitilor nostri. Mafia o asinigitawu, shigongwawa lo obilisi. Porque tuyo es el reino, el poder y la gloria. Kamule an salama lama. Amen. 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 Alleluia. Well, we're glad to be here. Um, Shola and I uh, and the rest of our team, we love Kingsgate. We really do. We think this is a very special church. God is doing something awesome in this place. We are amazed that you don't know as much as we know that God is doing something awesome in this place. And we love your pastors uh, greatly, uh, Dave and Karen. And, 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 and we, we feel it's a privilege to be asked to come and speak here again. So from us in the Redeemed Christian Church of God, from us at Jesus House, hello, Welcome. Kingsgate. I was very excited when I was told that the church was in a period of prayer and fasting, and especially when I was told that the church would be focusing on the Lord's prayer. I'm passionate about prayer. Um, I love praying. I try. Maybe not as much as I should, but I try. And I think the Lord's prayer is foundational to our prayer life. You know, the Bible has two accounts of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter, uh, from the ninth verse, and in Luke's Gospel, the eleventh chapter, both accounts tell us some, something about the importance of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's Gospel, it's embedded uh, in scriptures where the Lord is teaching some foundational truths about life and especially about prayer and fasting. In Luke's Gospel, it's in response to a disciple who saw Jesus go to pray as was his custom. And when Jesus came back, said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. I think that phrase is a very loaded phrase. I think if we have, if we, when we get a chance to ask the disciple, he will tell us that that phrase wasn't just in response to that particular incident where he saw Jesus go to pray, but I suspect it was in response to him having observed Jesus. Having seen Jesus work miracles, speak with such wisdom, confound the religious hierarchy of the day, um, and all the many other things that Jesus did that made him Jesus. And somehow in his mind, he knew there was a connection between his prayer life and how he lived out his life. And isn't that the case with us, that there's always a connection between our prayer life and how we live this victorious life? And so I guess this disciple thought, you know what, I need to find out the secret. And then he goes to Jesus after one more session of prayer and says, teach us to pray. Show us how it's done. How do you live this kind of overcoming victorious life? And then Jesus gives him a prayer. 
And I know in certain quarters it is recited as a prayer, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It is so powerful that even if you just recited it, it will achieve so much. But, but, but I, I believe that it's more than a prayer in that sense. I believe that what Jesus gave his disciples, since it was a life lesson about prayer, it surely had to be more than a prayer to be said. And I believe that what Jesus gave his disciples were, was a pattern, a template, um, some sort of framework that would guide our prayer life or undergird our prayer life. And it's foundational, that prayer. Uh, divided into, well, made up of seven petitions. Uh, the first three address God. The, 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 the second four address our needs and our own concerns. And today we are concerned with the third petition. Your kingdom come. This is probably the least understood of all the petitions in my reckoning. And yet the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven as it is used in, the, in, in Matthew's gospel is used 96 times in the New Testament. I gather it's the most used phrase in the New Testament. And when Jesus wants to make clear his, his purpose, his, his message, he says in Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter and the 43rd verse, that his purpose is to preach the message of the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist announces Jesus, his announcement recorded in Matthew's gospel, the third chapter and the second verse, is, is, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That tells us that the kingdom of God is, is not just central, it's foundational. Our faith is robbed of a significant part of its power if we don't understand the message of the kingdom of God and if we can't pray effectively, your kingdom come. The word kingdom, two words, the word king and the word domain, the prefix dom. So what then is a kingdom? It's obvious. It's the domain of the king. It's a place where the king rules, a, a place that is subject to his authority, his ways, and his order. Now, for me, I understood this whole thing about the kingdom because I come from a country that was, that was once ruled by a kingdom. I'm Nigerian by birth. I'm, I'm British now. Well, British Nigerian. <laughs> I can see quite a few of you are British. British Sierra Leonean, British Ghanaian, British Jamaican. British, Zimbabwean, um, British. And if you know a bit of history, some time ago, the British Empire stretched to Asia, stretched all the way to Africa. Most of the countries that make up the Commonwealth were once colonies of 
the British Kingdom. And just to give you an idea as to the impact of a natural kingdom, and it will make you understand how much influential and impactful a heavenly kingdom can be. In most of the colonies, the king was here in Great Britain. Most of the colonies never saw the king or the queen. But the influence of the kingdom was felt in the colonies. I mean, we learned to play cricket. I mean, we, 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 we started to drink tea in 40 degrees sweltering heat, we're drinking tea. Our civil service was modeled exactly after the British civil service. We have permanent secretaries, we have everything that you have. Our schools were modeled after the English schools. Our political system was modeled exactly after the British political system. We learned to speak English, despite the fact that we had our tribal languages. We even started to dress British. In the sweltering 45 degree heat, we were, we were wearing suits and a tie. The influence of the kingdom was unbelievable. That is a natural kingdom. You can only imagine what the influence of a heavenly kingdom can be if we would do what we're supposed to do. So I want to answer four questions that I hope will help us understand that petition, your kingdom come. A why, a what, a where, and a how. The first one, why do we need the kingdom to come? The answer is obvious. The state of the world. We live in a fallen world. The result of Adam's disobedience and rebellion against God. The Bible explains this clearly in Genesis, the third chapter. The result of that rebellion against God was that Satan, that, that our old adversary, was handed control of the world. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. He says, Satan is the God of this world. The result of Satan's rule is obvious for us to see. We read about it in our newspapers. We watch it on television. We hear of wickedness that we could never have imagined. Pain, confusion, fear, violence, the breakdown in the family structures, the lack of integrity in most of our institutions. The prophet Isaiah described Israel in his time in a manner that would aptly describe where the world is today. In Isaiah, the 59th chapter, from verse 2 to verse 4, verse 13 to verse 15, he says to the nation of Israel, but that could so easily apply to the world today, 
Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongues have muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Verse 13. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails. That could aptly describe our world. We look around us, and there's hardly any institution that has integrity anymore in the world. The politicians have failed us. The bankers failed a long time ago. And most other institutions are failing us. The one institution that still has a measure of integrity in the eyes of most of the world now is the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the world is a pretty messed up place. You just have to sit in front of a television and you will agree that the world is a messed up place. That's why there's a need for the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? The what? It's really about God's authority, God's ways, God's order. It's really about Jesus because as the writer of the book of Hebrews helps us understand in Hebrews, the first chapter and the third verse, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. And it is all about Jesus. And we mustn't be ashamed about Jesus. It might seem like foolishness to some, but believe me, it is still the power of God unto salvation. And we must not be ashamed about it. You know, I was saying in the first service that the challenge is that we are trying to become wiser than God. So we are trying to find better ways than God did to tell the story of Jesus. We're trying to appeal to our intellects we seem to forget that the message of Jesus is ours to tell and the spirits to convict the hearts of those we tell. Amen. I'm all for intellect. I'm all for eloquence for those who are. But I don't think Peter's message was very eloquent or intellectual. I've preached some pretty good messages myself. I've never had 3,000 saved at any of, any of the times I've preached. So I think that it would help us if it was more of the Spirit of God we were trusting to do the work than our own intellect or our education or whatever else we might feel that we have. So it's about Jesus. The kingdom is about Jesus. 
And when we say your kingdom come, we're saying more of you, Jesus, in our lives, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities, and in our nations. It's as simple as that. Your kingdom come, more of you, Jesus. Your kingdom come, your rule, Jesus. Your kingdom come, your reign, Jesus. Your kingdom come, your lordship, Jesus. So we're saying more of your love, more of your forgiveness, more of your healing, more of your peace. That's what we're saying when we say your kingdom come. We understand, like the Apostle Paul makes us understand that this kingdom of God is not carnal. It's not food and drink, he says. But it's firstly righteousness. And not a righteousness that is earned by our hard works, but a righteousness that we receive as the clearest example of the grace of God. It's about peace, he says, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what he says to the church in, in Rome, in Romans, the 14th chapter and the 17th verse. So the kingdom is about the rule of God. Number three, where is the kingdom? That's a good question. It's one that troubled the disciples. They had waited for so long for this king to come, living as second-class citizens, oppressed by the Roman Empire. They couldn't wait for their king to come and overthrow this Roman Empire. They were looking for a political kingdom, maybe even a social kingdom. They didn't understand that the kingdom is first spiritual, and it is from the spiritual that it influences the physical, the politics, and, and the social. And so Jesus says to them in Luke's gospel, the 17th chapter, the 20th verse, when the Pharisees asked him, when is this kingdom of God going to come? He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there. And why is that the case? Because the kingdom of God is within you. It starts inside you. That's why the church in China, despite the oppression, is the fastest growing part of the church in the whole world. Because the kingdom of God is not first external, it is internal within you. And guess what? You can't do anything about what is within me because it is embedded deep in my soul. And that is where the kingdom of God is. And so when, 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 we, when we start this journey into the kingdom, we answer an altar call. We give our lives to Christ. A seed is planted in us. It's the seed of the kingdom. And Jesus gives an illustration that helps us understand how the kingdom works. He says in Matthew's gospel, the 13th chapter and the 33rd verse, and I love the New Living Translation of this scripture. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she puts only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeates every part of the dough or the bread. 
Now, we use that a lot when we're trying to explain how the kingdom of God affects externally. But it's the same internally. When we give our lives to Christ, a seed is planted. The extent to which we are effective as kingdom citizens is the extent to which we allow and encourage and nourish that seed to grow. The more submitted we are to God, the more impactful we are as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's why it has nothing to do with persons. God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody who will yield and submit to the, to the king of this kingdom can be used mightily by the king of this kingdom. Jesus uses two metaphors to drive home this point. He says in Matthew's gospel, the fifth chapter and the 13th verse, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its seasoning, one translation says, its savor, another translation says, the Amplified Bible amplifies it and says its strength and its quality. It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The church becomes ineffective. The church becomes an object of ridicule. Not, when, not because, because we, we, don't, we don't have buildings. Frankly, we could do a lot of work without buildings. As long as the kingdom of God is in us, strength and quality, the church is powerful and marching on. He says, you're the light of the world. No city set on a hill is hidden. Put on that, no, 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 no light is put on that bushel. But the light is put on a hill that it might shine its light so that others can see. We are salt and light. We must nourish the seed of the kingdom in us so that we can be effective there's only so much one torchlight can do in a dark room. But the more torchlights that are put on, the more the room is illuminated. The stronger the lights, the more illumination. If there are enough lights, then the darkness has to recede because the kingdom of God has arrived. And so the kingdom comes where? First in me. So my first prayer isn't for the kingdom to come. My first prayer is for the kingdom to come in its fullness in me. Paul says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You carry the authority of the king. You represent him in whatever colony he has put you in. It might be your family that's your colony, your school that's your colony, your office that's your colony, your neighborhood that's your colony. Wherever your colony is, you are an ambassador of Christ. You carry the credentials of the Most High God. And I know you might want to, you know, I mean, if you want to be an ambassador, you could choose some countries to be 
the ambassador of, of, of certain countries. I don't know if you know London well, but the home of the American ambassador is, is amazing. It's, the, it's, it's like half of Hyde Park, the Regent's Park. A amazing. If I wanted to be an ambassador, I wouldn't mind being the American ambassador. <laughs> and there's some countries you don't want to be the ambassador of, certain countries. But all that is nothing compared to being an ambassador of Christ. But then the strength and quality is, 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 is of no use if it remains within us. The nature of the kingdom is that what is in you must come out to affect your society, your family, your community. And that's why it is a kingdom trait to talk about the kingdom. It is really the great commission that we've been given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to share the good news about the kingdom. I had a story about a man who was arrested in an Islamic country where the preaching of the gospel is banned. And those who arrested him were going to be lenient with him. And they gave him a warning. We'll let you go on the condition that you never say anything again about Jesus while you're in this country. The man's response was bold, but very true. He said, then you have asked me not to be a Christian because the nature of my faith, of this kingdom, is that I have to keep sharing the news of the kingdom. That should put some of us to shame. He was in a place where he wasn't supposed to at risk to his life. It should make us ask ourselves some questions. We generally have the liberty here to share the good news. But how many times do we miss opportunities to share the good news of the kingdom? And if you're like me, you might think, well, I need to get it ordered in my head. My theology is not correct. I'm not so bold. What if nothing happens? That isn't our responsibility. Share the news and leave the one who does the convicting of the hearts to do the convicting of the hearts. For Paul says in Romans the 10th chapter and the 14th verse to the 15th verse, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And it's not a preacher from behind a pulpit. Every one of us is called to preach the good news of the gospel. And the last question is how? How do we establish this kingdom? John the Baptist's crime in, in, in Matthew the third chapter and the second verse was revolutionary. It was a challenge to an already existing order. For the king, his cry that the kingdom of God was coming as the forerunner 
wasn't a cry to a vacuum. There was already an established kingdom, in inverted commas. There was already an impostor as king. The ruler of this world, Paul called him. And so if one kingdom was coming, and there was already one in the space, it follows that one had to be dethroned for another to be enthroned. And that's what makes his call revolutionary. Some sort of a coup was being planned where a king, an imposter was about to be dethroned and the true king was about to be enthroned. But then no kingdom worth his salt, imposter or not, is going to go without a fight. That's why we must understand that that prayer, your kingdom come, is a clarion call to spiritual warfare. We must understand that we do face an enemy. And it's an enemy who's as devious and as wicked as wicked can be. And he does not like you and he doesn't like me. He hates the advance of the kingdom. And he does have an organized hierarchy of forces. Paul highlights them in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and the, and the 12th verse. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. And Paul says we must wrestle against them. So our fight is not against flesh and blood. But fight, we must fight. Our faith is not passive. Our weapons might not be carnal, but weapons we must have and we must unleash. We must become skilled in battle. The metaphors for army and soldier, you can find everywhere in the New Testament of the Bible. We are meant to fight. We occupy until he comes. We take territory on his behalf. The church is built so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We do wrestle. And it is a church that fights and wrestles. A church that refuses to give ground. A church that understands the weapon of prayer. And I am so glad that I've, met, I've come across a church in Kingsgate that understands the place that fasting plays in warfare. It is when we deploy all these things that we don't just hold the kingdom of darkness, don't just stop it, but we push back the kingdom of darkness. In our families, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities, and in our nation. Be left in no doubt there is a serious contention for the soul of this nation. The signs are everywhere. But if we play our part, we cry, your kingdom come, your rule, your authority, your order. 
then we will see the soul of this nation turned back to God. And believe me, it is possible. And so I want to encourage you. The beauty about prayer is that anybody can do it. There are really no prayer generals. They are just people who yield themselves to the Spirit of God in the place of prayer. There are no age limits to this battle. As long as you yield yourself, irrespective of your age, young or old, you become a general in God's eyes. And God is looking for those generals, those who will give themselves to prayer. For when we pray, we mobilize the resources of heaven. Our prayer fuels the activities of the angels. Our prayer enthrones God's plans. And the enemy tells us a lie. Because a lot of times, there's a time lag between prayer and result. There isn't time to talk about it. But if you read the book of Job, there's always a time in heaven and a time on the earth. And oftentimes, there's a time lag, and that's where the devil gets us. Because we pray and we don't seem to see the results. We think our prayers are not achieving the results. But the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person, righteous in Christ, always avails much. That tells me that every single minute you're praying, you're advancing the kingdom of God, whether you see the results or not immediately. There are prayers that were prayed last year. The answers are just coming this year. Daniel set himself to pray. The Bible says when the angel came with the, with the answer, and this is, an, this is an example of spiritual warfare. The angel says from the first day you prayed, God heard and released me with the answer. But there were contentions in the spirit realm where the natural eyes don't see. And that angel was withheld held bound by the prince of Persia. You know, I, I was trained as a lawyer, so the spirit realm, I understand it very clearly. It's not what we think. You know, angels are not just dashing around the place with swords, you know, killing themselves. No, no, no. It's a very organized place. Very organized, very hierarchical. A good angel was coming. A bad prince met him. The good angel stopped in his tracks and couldn't move. Until the prayers of Daniel brought an angel of equal rank. And when the, when, when, when the angel, Pr Prince Michael, arrived, I'm sure what happened was that when the Prince of Persia saw, saw Michael arrive, he must have just said, it's okay, there's no need, no need for a fight, just let him go. Because that's how it works. Now you can imagine if Daniel had got tired and stopped praying. So I want to encourage someone here, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't stop praying. 
Keep pressing. No prayer is wasted. Every prayer is a building block in God's plan for your life, your family, your church, your community, your town, your city, and this nation. And so if you were getting tired, this is a wake-up call, an encouragement to you that your prayers can never be wasted. And sooner than you think, you will see the answer to those prayers. Can you say a big amen to that? I'd love to close with a prayer. This season, this church is going through, is going to change this church in ways that you can't imagine. I sense it very strongly in my spirit. And if I say this church is going to change, you know that means you are going to change because you are the church. And so I want to pray, Heavenly Father, that whatever plan you have for these, your children, this season will usher them into the next phase of it. I pray for a spirit of revelation as your prayer, Lord Jesus, is unraveled, unwrapped. I pray that at the end of it, no one who goes through this season will be the same. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen.